For the first time in franchise history, the Raptors completed a sweep in the postseason. Despite winning the championship last year, comfortable series were at a premium for Toronto, who not only struggled past Orlando in the first round, but were taken to seven in the against Philly, were then taken to six against the Bucks, and of course, almost again taken to seven in the finals. But alas, 150-122 victory against the Brooklyn Nets last night saw the Raptors sweep the Buck, a sweep, sorry, the Nets, a broken Nets side, and go straight into an all-encompassing matchup against the Boston Celtics. Yesterday was a strange result because the starters, hardly any of them played past 16 minutes. And instead, it was the bench who together scored 100 points, which I think has to be some kind of record, doesn't it, Varal? And I feel like it shows the strength of the Raptors' depth. Do you think it rivals some other of these teams like, you know, the Nuggets, uh, maybe the Lakers as well? Absolutely. Um, the very interesting part about this squad depth is, is something we touched on early in the season. Um, every single player in this roster has kind of had to take a step up. Uh, so they moved up one rung in the ladder when it comes to uh, their place in the squad. Because when you lose your best player, that that is what inevitably happens. You take on a slightly larger role because you're missing somebody who took, you know, 40 minutes a game. So, you know, when you've got Powell coming off the bench, I mean, he's, he was excellent this series. Um, you've honestly got depth in all five positions. I can't remember which team it was, Kamel. Um, it was, it could either be Eastern or Western Conference, but I think it was a year or two ago where every single position um, from one to five, they had literally somebody on the bench who could, who's almost a starting caliber player uh, on the bench, had this 10-man uh, roster. I can't, I can't remember who it was. They had this 10-man rotation. It was just phenomenal. They could just sub them out at any point. It may have even been the Raptors two or three years ago. I'm kind of going off. Uh, on a bit of a tangent there, but it almost feels like that is the case with this Raptors team. You can kind of plug in any of these pieces. All of these players that we've done uh, in-depth looks at during this season, whether it be Chris Boucher or Matt Thomas, uh, Terrence Davis, the coach knows, Nick Nurse knows. Of course, he won Coach of the Year, which we'll quickly discuss after as well, but he knows that these guys are going to likely play very, very vital minutes in the following rounds. And so it was really nice to see him give those guys a little bit of that playoff experience, which some of those guys haven't had previously. Yeah, no, of course, has made some excellent points. And as you've said, I mean, you just look at the box score for yesterday. Off the bench, Ibaka, 27 and 50. Norman Powell, who's been a revelation all series and hopefully is develop developing some consistency both behind the arc and at the rim where he's been so explosive. He scored 29. Terrence Davis, 14. Matt Thomas, 12. He's looking like a very reliable shooter. It gives the starters a complete rest. And to be honest, the less games for the Raptors, the better. Because they've been absolutely yeah. plagued by injuries this season. We look at, uh, yeah. of course, we firstly discussed this series after game one. And I think both of us said it's going to be a sweep. We might yeah. have been disproven in game two, where it yeah. was very, very tight. And the Raptors yeah. were behind for the majority of the game. 
the book uh, they had to actually rely on the Nets almost having a brain fart with their last play of the game. Um, you know, they were three points behind. Uh, they were creating shots all game. And to be honest, yeah. half of me expected to go, this to go to overtime. But apart from that, game three, you saw Siakam coming back, scoring 26. He hasn't, he didn't look so good in the first two games, but he's growing into this playoffs. And, you know, he might not be the talisman, but he's certainly one of the pieces that the Raptors need to go far. So uh, there's nothing more too much to say other than, you know, you've got really raw offensive power in this side. You know, everyone knows that the Raptors' rotations, their defensive uh, spacing and positioning, uh, has been a revelation this season. That's one of the reasons why Nick Nurse has picked up the Coach of the Year award. And arguably one he should have picked up last year and was overlooked for. Um, but now they're doing it on the other end. And I'm much more confident now about the Boston series than I would be before this uh, playing the Nets because they've shown they can take care of business. Okay. And we'll, we'll see about that prediction. I have something to say there. We'll talk about these Celtics when they come up later on this episode. Of course. Well, let's go straight to the Mavericks-Clippers series. A phenomenal ending to overtime last night as Luca scored his 40, scored, finished with 43 points on a step-back three over Reggie Jackson, a buzzer beater to win the game just seconds after Marcus Morris appeared to have given the Clippers the win and an unassailable 3-1 lead. Um, this is a win without Kristaps Porzingis. This is a win really yeah. just, um, it, it was almost self-made by Luka, right? 43, 17, and 13. He's creating for the likes of Tim Hardaway Jr., Seth Curry, Trey Burke, who are shooting pretty well right now. The Mavericks as a whole, uh, shooting 50% from the field and uh, 36% from three. So they're matching the Clippers uh, on the offensive end. Um, and suddenly... Well, from a series which many thought maybe the Mavs would put up some resistance, grab one game on the Clippers' way to the Western Conference Finals, it suddenly turned into a real series. And personally, yeah. if I was the Clippers, I'd be extremely worried about Game 5, which I think would be absolutely pivotal. Whoever wins that, I think, is going to win the series. Kamel, Kamel, Kamel. What has happened to Paul George? I, I guess I'll pandemic talk about theme. that. Pandemic theme. Pandemic theme. <laughs> as we now call it. Um, yeah, as soon as I saw Paul Zingas was out, so I actually had this game or this series going to five games. I saw the Clippers beating them four to one. I talked about how pivotal Powell was, um, the fact that he tore his Achilles before coming to this playoffs, I thought it was huge for them. But I think the very interesting decision made by coach uh, Rick Carlisle going into this game is that he decided to start Trey Burke. And clearly that very much paid off for the team. He was the leader in this game in terms of plus minus, uh, plus 17. He had 25 points, shot 10 and 14 from the field. And the reason I was surprised was because I expected Seth Curry to maybe start, especially because Trey Burke is kind of, um, you know, he's, he's supposed to be a point guard. Um, but he interestingly decided to go with two playmakers. Uh, Trey Burke is also undersized as well. I'd say Seth Curry is probably a better defender than him. So, yeah, for those reasons, I was very surprised that Seth Curry was on the bench. But I think the reason he went with that is because he wanted Seth Curry's firepower coming off the bench. He knows Seth Curry doesn't really need the ball much in his hand. And when he comes off the bench, he's still a fairly reliable guy. Like, he doesn't need to 
have like dribbled it three or four times before taking up a shot. Like he's he's going to be ready to fire um, regardless of whether he's starting or coming off the bench. So clearly that worked for them this game. So again, uh, hopefully Paul Zingas isn't out for further games, you know, for game five, game six uh, as well. But uh, after seeing how well Trey Burke played, he'll probably go with that same lineup uh, the next game if Paul Zingas is out. But talking about play, uh, sorry, pandemic George, as you've so nicely labelled him. I mean, he's been a no-show for I think now it's been three games in a row. He managed to get double digits in game three. Bless him. He got eleven points, but I don't really know what's going on, Cavell. Because uh, yes, you can point to the Mavericks' defense. Maybe they have played a good perimeter defense, but. Uh, that's not even necessarily true because the rest of the teams actually shot uh, very well from three-point line. So in game three, we had um, we had the Clippers shooting 41% from the three, uh, 52% from the field. Uh, in game four, the Clippers still shot 37% from the three, 47% from the field. So it wasn't like the whole team was getting locked up. It's It's really been Paul George who hasn't been showing up. Based on video evidence, Camille, do you have any reason for this? Um, I'm just a bit baffled. For me, it just seems like he's not making shots that he would normally make. Do you see anything different to that? Yeah, I mean, it appears he's got the, the yips. I mean, the main, you look at the box score, right? Nine, nine points yesterday. Seven of those were scored in the first six minutes of the game, which means during three and a half quarters plus overtime, he scored two points. And that was if I remember, sorry, a late layup, which is actually quite a clutch layup in the end, and which, however, came before he botched one. Um, it's, it just seems to completely have the yips. I'm not sure that, that people are trying to diagnose what's wrong with it because it's not like Paul George is one of the players who's got a reputation for not showing up in the playoffs, right? Raptors fans yeah. will particularly remember the Pacers series, I believe it was in 20. 15 or 2016 where you know they took they took the raps to seven and Paul George was the main architect and he became one of the most feared players uh, in in Toronto really so it's not like he's I, I just think lockdown and that extended break may have an effect on players and I think it's, it's just something unexplainable I'm not sure it's the Mavs defense I think it's something internal within Paul George himself yeah yeah, not making uh, so with on that note, we can probably move on to the next game as well. Well, as a last thing as well, um, it, it's very surprising. We didn't think that this would happen due to the construction of the Clippers rosters, but it does seem like Kawhi might have to completely carry this team on his back. I mean, he had 32 points yesterday. He had, um, I believe it was 36 points in game three as well. And given, you know, the... Uh, the depth and scoring they have as well offensively. You didn't think that he would have to carry this Clippers team, but it might be the case that he has to do that for the remainder of the series. And so we'll see if uh, Kawhi, almost on his own, can uh, take them across that finishing line. Yeah, well, two players who are trying to take their respective teams over the finish lines are Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, who scored 50... Thank you. Who scored 50 and 51 apiece in... A brilliant duel yesterday in what is actually turning out to be one, and unexpectedly, one of the best series of the playoffs so far. The Jazz taking a 3-1 lead over Denver Nuggets. 
Um, is this is is the remainder of the series just going to depend on these individual performances, or do you see? I saw some comments about how uh, Denver aren't using Michael Porter Jr. to his full potential. You know, as a, as a three point shooter, one of the best in in these both these two teams. Um, or is this just going to be uh, the Murray Mitchell duel for the remainder of this series? What do you think? Oh, I don't really know what's going on with the Nuggets in terms of what's going on behind the scenes, Kamal, because um, I believe it was in game three, or it was either game two or game three. Uh, in both games, uh, Utah completely blew the, uh, blew the Nuggets out. But um, Bobo came off the bench for, I think it was four minutes. Uh, this was game two. Yeah, he came off the bench for four minutes. He had a block. He seemed to be fairly moving fairly well, playing fairly well. And, of course, he had a couple of bubble performances people were quite excited about. Or this may have been um, the, pre-se- the, the pre-bubble uh, games, um, the few uh, pre-bubble games that they had. And one thing that this Nuggets team is severely lacking is paint defense because Jokic is not doing a good enough job in there despite you know seeing this leaner Jokic we have. Uh, Rudy Gobert, I've talked about how much he lacks in the offensive capacity of the game. He doesn't really have any go-to post move that he has. He really, really only just finishes off lobs, but he's been getting roughly 15, 17 points a game in that range across all four of these games because he's just been getting lobs from Donovan Mitchell. And um, that is due in part to, of course, the uh, gravity uh, or you know, the defence that Donovan Mitchell attracts. And so Gobert is left there wide open. But uh, even the eye test, you can see how much Jokic is just uh, struggling with him in terms of giving up offensive rebounds as well. And so I, it, it would, to me, seem like Bobo would be just the perfect guy to come off the bench instead of Plumlee for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes to try and uh, slow down Gobert on both ends, I'd say, like... Uh, even offensively, he can give the same kind of looks that Jokic gives as well, Bobo. Um, maybe pay them both together, one as a power forward, one as a centre, um, with Jeremy Grant coming off the bench. You know, like they can mix things up like that. So, um, of course, it has been Murray versus Mitchell in one sense. But in another sense, when you look at this last game, um, the Nuggets were superior than the Jazz in almost every single department in terms of uh, forcing the other team to turn over. They had a lot more second chance points. The Nuggets had way more assists. Uh, they had more rebounds than the Jazz. They had, I believe it was 25 more shots, uh, somewhere in that range, than the Jazz. But the Jazz, I'll read you out the shooting stats uh, that they had, Kamel. Um, 57% from the floor and 48% from three. It's just <laughs> ludicrous. It's a miracle um, they made it so close. They're is lacking their perimeter defense is lacking and this is a Nuggets team that was one of the best defensive teams in the league so I really think that they desperately need to rethink some strategies but it's also of course down to uh, Quinn Schneider's excellent coaching as well and uh, the contributions of Jordan Clarkson who's also been absolutely phenomenal yeah no I mean I can't I can't disagree with the word you've said there and uh, yeah just what I've said before going forward I think if you're going to watch one game tomorrow it has to be that series um 
because it's just, yes. it's just phenomenal. Of course, uh, I say that having Clippers Mavericks coming straight after, but any one of those two games, I think uh, you, you'll, you'll struggle to find a better individual duel than those two right there. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if the, if the Nuggets and, and their actually reform their system. You know, in game four, I believe they dropped uh, Michael Porter Jr. and um, yeah. the Tory Craig for Monte Morris and another player. And it didn't really do anything. It put in a bit more energy. But it didn't really help the defense at all. You know, and unfortunately, Gary Harris, who who um, might have been somebody they were looking for, he's also been ruled out for Game Four. There were hopes that he might. Uh, sorry for Game Five. There were hopes that he might be back, but uh, yeah, it doesn't look like he'll be coming back for Game Five. Well, uh, let's let's move on to the next game. Uh, yeah. OKC taking one back quite convincingly from the Rockets. Uh, talk us through this. Talk us through this. Is there a change in momentum yeah. in the series? Um, I'll keep this one short. Um, if you'd asked a Rockets fan, and if, if I asked you, Kamel, do you think the Rockets would have taken a 2-1 lead over the OKC Thunder without Russell Westbrook? I think that's a resounding yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, right? With how the OKC, uh, how they looked in the bubble, especially. Yeah. No, you're right. That's, that's fully correct, yeah. Uh, so, in yesterday's game, Kamal, uh, you're probably aware, but you know they, um, the Rockets came back in the fourth quarter, and it looks like it looked like um, for about one or two minutes, it looked like they would be up three nil, and um, the Thunder managed to get it to overtime, where they just uh, completely uh, blew out the Rockets. I think they went fourteen nil at some point, but either way, it ended up finishing. Uh, 15 to 3 uh, in overtime and um, uh, what is there to say about these games I mean it's been bizarre watching this because in the third game which is the only game really that Harden went completely off he went for 38 points in this game yeah but um, that is the game that they lose indeed in the second game Kamel it was Harden was on the bench uh, for a set I think it was a 17-0 run that the Rockets had in game two where which ended up solidifying the game for them, and so to think that this team is actually meshing really well and playing really good basketball with Harden on the bench, and of course no Russell Westbrook, com- goes completely against the narrative that the media portrays that you know this team completely relies on their two superstars. Um, it shows that without even without James's uh, gravity, uh, that this team is still capable of playing competitive basketball. So. Um, that's got to be a great thing to see for Rockets fans. It also shows that, um, you know, in the later rounds of the playoffs as well, which I do at this point see them making, uh, that, again, they're not having to rely on um, James Harden making like eight or nine threes a game. Um, although the team is still heavily relying on the three ball. I think they shot on the NBA record. It was like, uh, let me check this for you, Kamel. I think it was 53s, Kamel, they attempted. Uh in game three so <laughs> they're still very much relying on that yeah. three ball but yeah um we'll see how the thunder can adjust when russell westbrook comes back that's basically going to be the main thing gildress alexander and chris ball they've been playing well Dort uh, has been playing some good minutes for them but like i said after game one i want them to go to stephen adams in the post and for him to bully he only had seven field goal attempts in game three he only had six points as well um, I banged on about it in our first recap, and I'd like to see again uh, Billy Donovan 
uh, make an adjustment and to get the ball down uh, to Stephen Adams in the post and for him to eat, frankly, against a, a lack of a centre for the Rockets. Well, yeah, and of course, Dennis Schroeder, 29 in that win for OKC. As well. Interesting, you know, uh, one typical six-man of the year, of course, along with Lou Williams. So uh, he could well be a factor going in. Has your prediction changed at all just quickly before we move on to the next series for this uh, series? I, I had the Thunder in seven. I don't know what okay. you had, Kamel. Oh, wow. Uh, I think, <laughs> I believe I had the Rockets in six. So. Oh, so I think you'll look spot on. Um, I'd, I'd have the Rockets in seven, though, just because they might have to adjust when Ross comes back. That's fair enough. Well, uh, one series that is now over is, well, unexpectedly over, is the Celtics against the 76ers, Boston completing the sweep with a 110-106 win. Um, I mean, there's nothing really to say about the games here because they're all pretty much the same. It's going to be <laughs> Jason and Jalen going off on the offensive board. Uh, on the other side, Joel Embiid scores 30. He scored th- at 30-plus in all four games, uh, but he just wasn't supported. Al Horford is too slow. Tobias Harris not shooting enough. And to be honest, I feel sorry because they haven't got enough, enough depth. The 76ers, compared to last year, where they had Reddick and Butler in this side, such a complete downgrade. And I'm not sure the result would have been all too different, even with Ben Simmons in the team. Because to be, mm. give credit to him, Shake Milton did do all right in his absence. Yeah. You know, it's just not the same in playoffs. You don't have the guy coming off screens. You don't have playoff Jimmy Butler, who of course raises his game so much in the offseason. And to be honest, you look at that bench, apart from Alec Burks, and maybe you get some defense from Matisse Thybulle, who else do you really have? You can't rely on Raul Neto as your, even your seventh man, really, your eighth man. Um, I, they just were not strong enough this year. I, it's one series I do not blame Brett Brown for, but I blame totally the Philly front office for trading away. Wow. For, for, well, for making the Al Horford trade, really. No, that no. killed it. Yes, yeah, killed yeah. It. And I agree with you, Camille. And, um, but that's interesting because that's not how a lot of other people see it. People are still uh, being very critical of Brett Baum and his performance. Yeah, but um, in any sense, I don't think he could have done, I don't think any coach could have done much with this team against quite a strong Boston team. And of course, yeah. one that we're looking forward to playing the Raptors very soon in the Eastern Conference semi-final. Both teams going in on sweeps, of course. Um, we'll, we talked a little bit about this in some of our preview podcasts back in July, just about the, rap, the individual matchups. Uh, yeah. Overall, that, that, that series, I'm not sure uh, the total points for any game is going to go above 200. And I think likely good is it will go to seven. So it's going to be one of the most blinding yeah. sort of series. It might not be very pretty aesthetically pleasing to watch, but it's, you know, for Raptors and Celtics fans, it's something they've been dreaming for years, literally years they've been dreaming for this series. And they've never got it before. Now it's finally, finally happening. And we'll definitely dive deeper, whether it's a separate podcast or whether it's just yeah. some of my ramblings on our Twitter account at Falling in the Six. We're going mm-hmm. to give you a bit more of a preview on that. Um, right now, actually, we're going to go live to Portland. Uh, well, not live, sorry. We're going to go to Portland to talk to Samuel Jeffries uh, about the Lakers' turnaround in that particular series. Mm-hmm. 
For the first time in months, I am proud to welcome back to Balling in the Six our Portland correspondent, Samuel Jeffries, live from Oregon. Samuel, after such a promising opening game in which Portland pulled off one of the shocks of the season and what is likely to be one of the shocks of the post-season, even throughout the playoffs, um, suddenly there's just been a turnaround. Why have the Lakers won the last two games? Well... Man for man, the Lakers are better than the Trailblazers. There's a reason the Lakers are the one seed. They have LeBron and Anthony Davis. A shocking admission. Un- unbelievable, right? And in game one, Anthony Davis had an alright game. LeBron had a pretty good game, but the Lakers supporting cast didn't show up. And the Blazers supporting cast did. However, you look at game two, there was no offense from the Blazers. Nothing. LeBron, even though LeBron had a terrible game, which we'll we'll need either the supporting cast LeBron or AD to have a slip up to even have a chance at winning a game. The the whole of the Blazers lineup, the top scorer was Dame with 18. I know he got injured, but that's where you want CJ to step up. He only had 13, and everyone else was in single digits. Melo had two. It's it's unacceptable, really. And then you look at Game Three, it came down to to the wire, but LeBron. And AD just proved too much. Even though Dame hit some shots, you need for us to have a chance, we need him to be dropping 35-40 efficiently on a night. And we just didn't have an answer for AD. Nurkic got clamped by him, only had 10 points and looked tired at the end. So, looking forward to the rest of this series, how long is this going to go on? And is there any, any chance, is there a hope in hell that the Blazers can win three of the next four, five games, four games, <laughs> five games, um, four games. Uh, I think there is there is a chance, but it all comes down to the. I think one of the big difference makers that hasn't been there for the Blazers in the series is Gary Trent Jr. He's not really shown up. He was averaging around twenty in the bubble on sixty percent three shooting, and he is going to be vital. I expect Damian Lillard to come out and ball for the next four games. I expect CJ to back him up a bit, but it's going to come down to the battle down low between the bigs of Portland and the bigs of the Lakers, and whether Gary Trent Jr. can provide some support off the bench that really lacks anyone else who can. Samuel, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And now we are back. Uh, I mentioned before when this, we discussed the Boston Philly series about Jimmy Butler's trade away. And of course, he always steps up his game in the playoffs. And we've no better seen that than in game three against the Pacers, where he yeah. led them to a 124-115 win. And, you know, do you think this is now going to be a sweep? Or do you think the Pacers have some fights left in them? Well, I was so demoralized watching that game three. I thought the Pacers played so well. Um, don't think they could have done much more else. Um, whether it comes down to a sweep or not, again, it depends on Sabonis's condition. But Sabonis is back. He's going to be back for game four. Is that hundred percent though? Because he's—I don't think he's in the bubble though, is he? Uh, well, I know he's coming back. He's 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 returned. He's now returned to. He's going to return on Saturday. Oh, he's going to return on Saturday to the bubble after his injury. Uh, which but that I doesn't believe... make much sense, though, does it? Because they'll likely be out by that point. 
This is this coming Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, he's not. He's sorry, he's not expecting to play unless the series is stretched. And in any way, yes. he hasn't. He hasn't actually been able to even train properly for quite a while. So he would like to play yeah, for a like, few minutes. CBS is saying that he won't even join the active roster. So there we go. Right. So without Sabonis. Sabonis. <laughs> I mean, what yeah, do you think? That, I mean, that question, that answer is yes. It's going but, to be a but, sweet. But the Just, question is, why can't Bubble, TJ Warren, and Oladipo and Miles Turner? Why don't they have enough to even steal a game of Miami? I mean, this has been the interesting thing because TJ Warren hasn't been shot down by Jimmy Butler. He still performed. He still played very well. Um, but like, when you come to those clutch minutes, when you have that matchup of TJ versus Jimmy, like the difference in cost becomes apparent. Um, this Heat team are just so exceptional in every department. We've talked about it. It's in the inside. It's on the outside. There's a period in this game three. I think Miles Turner honestly was getting the upper hand of a bam at a bio. And again, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I thought he was doing an excellent job against him. But again, in the fourth quarter, a bam just showed his cast. He showed him, you know, who the dominant young man center was. So like in every single area of the court, for, against the Pacers, including defense, of course, when you added Iguodala as well, uh, shooting uh, in, in every respect, uh, the clutch man uh, in the fourth, which is uh, Butler over TJ Warren, like they're just very slightly better than the Pacers, I would say. Um, it, it, despite you know how the good Malcolm Bogdan has also looked, you've got Goran Dragic on the other side, who's playing like his 2014 or 15 self. He looks re rejuvenated, re-energized. He looked great as well. So this Heat team, Kamel, I think we can start looking forward with this Heat team because they're going to be a big problem for the Bucks. Yeah, so I was about to ask, do they have enough to now, well, I'm not going to say win against the Bucks because that's a bit too far, but do they have enough to take the Bucks the distance? I don't think that's too far at all. Well, we can discuss that more, but that's, mm. that's, a, that's a bold claim. Um, yeah. Uh, lastly, we're actually, yep, let's discuss Milwaukee. Milwaukee have totally turned around this series. Uh, now leading 2-1 with two convincing wins, including a 121-107 victory in which Giannis scored 35 and got 11 rebounds, 7 assists. Also performing uh, in double digits were Chris Middleton, who's been, who was criticised heavily in the opening game, Brooke Lopez with 16 and Bledsoe with 14 uh, this is just going to be a gentleman's sweep, isn't it? There's no other, no other real possibility, right? The the opening game was a blip, much like the Raptors game last against the Magic last last season. Uh, can you see anything else happening? Um, no, I, I don't see anything else happening. But again, uh, with this Bucks team, um, one thing I'm slightly worried about is just their defense hasn't looked as it did in the regular season. Um, the Magic still shot fairly well, uh, both in Game 2 and Game 3. I was expecting the Bucs to completely shut them down uh, on the defensive side of things uh, because this Magic team was a poor offensive team against the vast majority of teams in the NBA. Uh, so that's that was the weakness we highlighted for the Bucs in the bubble, and that's a weakness that, which is making itself very apparent in these Magic games. Um this Bucks offense is always, or it should always, they should be scoring at least like 105 points a game. That's not the big worry for me. It's really their defense. It just hasn't looked quite the same. And so 
we'll have to watch uh, these remaining two games, not to see if the Magic win, but just to see if the Bucks can have that, you know, step-up performance where they maybe blow out the Magic by 30 or 40, which they should be very well capable of, uh, you probably argue as well, Kamel, especially without Aaron Gordon uh, as well. So uh, I think that should be the thing to watch uh, in the remaining two games against the Magic. Yes, yeah, true. I mean, in my opinion, unless one of the Magic players, whether it be Vucevic or Terence Ross, really, the main candidate, unless they have a phenomenal, you know, 40-plus point scoring game, I don't think the Bucks scorers need to really be troubled at all. They can just rely on Giannis dropping 30-plus and, you know, the rest of their shooters chipping in and hopefully not shooting too bad a clip. I think that's indicated by what they did shoot. I mean, they, they had less, the uh, Bucks had less shots than the Magic in their recent victory but yes. still one by 14 because they shot 56.1% from the field. Um, yeah. And I guess really that's all that matters in that. Um, and I think with that though, uh, perhaps the least, <laughs> the least interesting series of what is quite a packed playoff, uh, you know, packed playoff package and uh, one that NBA fans have been really treated to over the past week or so. Uh, we're going to probably leave it there Uh after we promised we'd come back after three games, we came back after three and a half rounds. Uh, and next, uh, we'll be back after ga- the game fives for each uh, team. Uh, and I assume we'll see ha- at least half the series finished then, if not more. Um, but otherwise, uh, Brown, anything to add before we round this off? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, hopefully we'll also be uh streaming on hot mic this thursday as well so um that should be around 6 30 p.m it depends on a couple of things but uh depending on how the series goes uh we may be able to commentate it might be um the clippers versus the uh, mavs game six potentially so uh Keep your eyes uh, peeled for that. Again, uh, we'll shout out Hot Mike again and our code, which is what, Kamel? Balling754. Balling754. So you go to app.hotmike.io. You click on that. It'll link you directly to the app store, whether you're on iPhone or Android. Just download it, and then your referral code code, uh, is balling754. You can then listen to us for free. Uh, and yeah, we will. Of course, it all depends on uh, who wins and who loses their game fives. Yeah, so on that note, um, thanks, Kamel, for doing that preview. Again, we'll come back in like two or three days. And like Kamel said, we've been treated to uh, some absolutely wonderful series. So I hope you guys enjoy the next couple of days as we will see you yep. next week. Great, yeah, and of course, just uh, for once, uh, the Raptors are not involved in the drama, but we get to thank goodness watch all the chaos while uh, the Raptors are safely through the next round. Great, well, exactly. we'll catch you next time.